Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 601. I'm Ryan Padagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. It's May. It's going to be May, as the kids say. It is May. It is a packed week for us. It is oh, a yeah. big, big, wild week. Uh, we're going to get right into things because this is mm-hmm. the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we are excited about. And Lorraine, much of the show this week is all about Marvel Studios, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, including our big interview later on with the cast of Marvel Studios, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, and an extended chat with actor Sean Gunn, who not only plays Kraglin, but is also the onset actor for Rocket. Living that life ain't so easy sometimes. There's one shot in the woods there in that second movie where I'm fully in Kraglin garb, you know, but the camera's on my back, and Rocket is in the middle of the circle talking back and forth with Yondu and then with Nebula. And we did some takes of that where... I'm doing Rocket's lines, but trying not to move my head while I'm talking because I'm supposed to be standing there still as Kraglin, but I'm doing Rocket's lines to do with the other actors. It takes an awful lot of focus to make those days work. Oh boy, there's just so much, you know, not only do we have some folks from the cast, but we also have a what? Another Marvel Insider Code for y'all, so stay tuned. To a little later on in the show, of course, Marvel Insider is where you can get some cool, cool points to do some cool, cool things. So stick around to hear more about that and get your points on. But first and foremost, it is Guardians Week. It is a movie week. So let's get into it. Now, you can check out exclusive content from last week's Purple Carpet event on Marvel.com if you missed it. Or you can go back and just watch the best moments of the night. Uh, There's some really great videos to check out. You know, we have highlight reels. We have interviews with James Gunn, director and co-writer of the film. Of course, Kevin Feige. In fact, let's hear some uh, little sweet moments from our director, James Gunn, and producer slash president of Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige, right now. I think out of all the different franchises, Guardians is the one that's for the oddball, the rebels, the outcasts, the geeks. This is a group of outsiders, and I think at the end of the day, you know, most of us feel that way. And so the Guardians speak to them. I think each of the Guardians has a different personality, and everybody in their life knows a Nebula. They know a Drax. They know a Rocket. Maybe not a Groot. I think this movie is about accepting ourselves. Um, You know, the first movie was about the relationship with the mother. second movie was about the relationship with the father. Mm. This one is about the relationship to the self. So hopefully, you know, that's something that resonates with audiences. It's been amazing. You've said, you know, we've got these amazing uh, reviews already and amazing quotes talking mm. about a brilliant finale to a brilliant trilogy. And I, and I love that. And it, I, it's still sinking into me that this is the completion of a trilogy. I still remember those early days with the whole cast and with James and our whole team going, I wonder if anybody's going to see this crazy space movie that we want to make. And now here we are at this epic finale. It's just, it's incredible. Of course... You can go check out all of those clips over on the Marvel YouTube channel or on marvel.com. Plus, you can head over to Disney Plus for Marvel Studios Legends, which has eight episodes focusing on the found family that makes up the Guardians of the Galaxy, Peter Quill, Gamora, Rocket, Groot, Nebula, Drax, Mantis, and of course... Craglin, who we're going to have on later on in the show. There's also a lot of other great ways to experience the film. There is the film soundtrack, the Awesome Mix Volume 3, which is a collection of 17 songs and is now available on CD and digital download, as well as 12-inch double LP vinyl with the cassette version coming in July on July 7th. Plus, there's going to be the film's original score, digital album featuring music by composer John Murphy, also released this week. Plus, you can check out all the Marvel must-haves inspired by the film over on Marvel.com so you can get your stuff on. And of course, if you haven't already, go get your tickets. You've got about two seconds because this (laughs) film is in theaters this week, this Friday. Go see it. Um, It might even be out earlier if you're in a major city. Uh, So we hope you go see it and tell us all about what you love about it because we love this movie. 
Yeah. Now, look, everybody is celebrating Guardians. We got Guardians comics, Guardians this, that, and the other thing. Over in Marvel games, we got some Guardian stuff too, because Marvel Snap has introduced their newest season, the Guardians Greatest Hits. Uh, they put out a, a new trailer, which is kind <laughs> of wild. required viewing for anyone who's one into Marvel Snap, two wants to see how people making Marvel stuff just like having fun and enjoying what they do. Like you can clearly tell that the the team behind Marvel Snap, the, the folks at Second Dinner and Marvel Games are just having fun because Ben Brode, who's the chief development officer from Second Dinner and the co-founder of the company, he hosts this wild video as if he's an <laughs> 80s radio DJ. He's got a mullet. He looks beautiful. I am very much pro mullet. Very Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Mullet, vest, situation. We love yeah. to see it. He looks beautiful. Uh, and so he, <laughs> he gives the whole season rundown in it. And uh, I, again, it's very much worth watching. But uh, the big highlights from that are the new season pass card is Nebula, uh, which is good. We've been wondering, like, where the heck is Nebula? She's one cost one power but each turn she gets plus two power if an opponent doesn't play a card there so let's say you you put her down in in turn one you're kind of forcing someone to either leave her be and grow in power or jump on that spot to keep her down low but if you take like star lord and rocket on the next turn they will get a boost from her if opponents try to stop her from growing. So then they'll get a boost. It's really cool. There's a lot of really interesting ways to use her in a, in a strategic way. Um, there's going to be new variants for Gamora and Star-Lord and Nebula throughout the season. There's a bunch of new cards, which is always a highlight. So every week we'll get one of these new cards. We've got Iron Lad, which is a wild one. He copies the text of your deck's top card, cost four, has six power. So if the top card in your deck is Galactus, Iron Lad does Galactus stuff. It is wild. Uh, Howard the Duck, you can tap Howard to see the top card of your deck before you draw, which makes him a great companion to Iron Lad. Um, that is really neat. Howard is one cost to power, so nice one to put in there. High Evolutionary is absolutely wild. Even in the video, Ben is like, I made this card as a joke, and then we put it in the game. It is bananas. At the start of the game, you unlock the potential of your cards with no abilities. So High Evolutionary has four cost, seven power. And then if you have a deck with a bunch of no ability cards, they just start doing all kinds of wild stuff. So that includes Wasp, Misty Knight, Shocker, Cyclops, The Thing, Abomination, Hulk, etc. And then if you throw in, like, uh, if you have your Mystique in there, if you have your Patriot, that deck just becomes absolutely <laughs> wild. I, I'm dreading fighting people with this deck. It's going to be really, really fun, though. Uh, you can find out all those abilities over on Marvel.com and uh, on the video. Then finally, there's a Living Tribunal card, which has always been one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. Big concept of a dude, a naked yellow gold dude in a chair with, with three, three faces. faces. <laughs> oh, just the Love best. Him. Each one more kissable than the last, but the Living Tribunal <laughs> at the end of the game splits your total power evenly amongst all your locations. So if you're building, building, building on one on one location, you throw in Living Tribunal and it just evens everything out. So all your locations become pretty powerful. It's a really interesting card. Can't wait to see that in action. Then there's new locations, including Deep Space, which means card text is disabled in that location. The Milano, where only on turn five can cards be played there. So some cool things in those. There's going to be more variants and bundles and all that jazz happening during this season. You can, of course, download Marvel Snap on the App Store, Google Play, or Windows and learn more at marvelsnap.com. Yeah. Um, oh, but we are not done yet with movie goodness because soon you will be able to stream Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania on Disney+. Plus. That is on May 17th, which is just a whisper away. Of course, this is joining 17 other MCU films that are streaming in IMAX Enhanced on Disney+. Plus. Um, if you're not familiar with IMAX Enhanced, subscribers can enjoy this IMAX expanded aspect ratio at home, which provides up to 26% more picture for an immersive viewing experience. There's no additional cost or device required for that. Content availability, of course, does vary by region. But go over, sign up for Disney+, Plus, and start streaming it very soon. That's May 17th. So set your calendars and get ready for Modox, but... 
in IMAX enhanced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. This weekend, not only do we have a brand new film in theaters, but it's free comic book day Ew, on you. May 6th, which if you listen to the show, the day we release it, that's tomorrow. That is Saturday. It is a big old day. If you missed it, I'm so sorry, but you should listen to the show. We've been talking about it for weeks and months. Uh, free comic book day is really, really cool. It is at participating comic book shops. So, you know, you can go to comicshoplocator.com, find out if there is a comic shop near you, call them, or just go to their website, their social media pages, find out if they are participating. And if they are, we've got a bunch of comics. There are a bunch of titles with really fun entry points for all kinds of Marvel fans. There's a free comic book day, Avengers X-Men number one, which is, look, I've read these all already. They're all terrific. I'm excited for everybody to check them out. You've got the the sort of kickoff to the fall of X. There's a story by Jerry Duggan and Joshua Kassara that gives a little peek at what's in store for the Hellfire Gala. It's wild. It's a lot. It is big time. Um, and it sort of helps us start to get into the new Captain Krakoa, which also is uh, part of the story for the second story by Jerry Duggan and Javier Garon that sees the rise of the Stark Sentinels, which is, if you've been reading Invincible Iron Man, which is a great comic, you're seeing how that's coming together. Um, there's a the kickoff for the Uncanny Avengers book in here. It's a really, really bunch of great stuff if you are at all into the X-Men stuff, Avengers stuff, and how all of that's colliding this year in, in big ways. Plus, we've got a big story for gods the upcoming epic is the best word to call it the upcoming epic by writer jonathan hickman and artist valerio skiti it sort of puts us at the crossroads of science and magic and romance and drama and all kinds of wild stuff it's going to be a humdinger is all i can say and you get a little <laughs> tease of that in the avengers x-men book then over in the Spider-Man Venom Free Comic Book Day 2023 issue, we've got another trio of stories. There's one by uh, writer Zeb Wells, who's the amazing Spider-Man writer, and artist Patrick Gleason has Spider-Man, I guess, kind of attacking a gorilla in New York City. It is... Like you do. As you do. It is a really funny, really wild story. Yeah, it sets up some cool things. Then over in, there's a Venom story set in 1940, introducing a new old symbiote which is so cool this does he have a transatlantic accent if it talked ah, lorraine it looks so wild its name is flexo and it's it looks like an old-timey robot it's but, me flexo yeah it is by al ewing and kafu the team currently on venom and it's so good it gets to a moment where you just go oh that's a nightmare it's really, really fun, really wild. And then there's a third story, a preview of the upcoming Ultimate Invasion book by mm. Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch. And that has got like big repercussions for what's to come in that series. So that's really, really cool. Over in Marvel's Voices number one, we've got basically a lot of like little tastes of various Marvel's Voices anthology issues you get a little bit from a bunch of different stories as well as a brand new Ironheart story by writer John Jennings and art by Paris Eleni that gives Ironheart a new nemesis Kim it's a really good one it's kind of a love letter I said this in pull this this week it's kind of a love letter to Chicago and a love letter to black history in really really great ways so definitely want everybody to check that out too uh, and if you got kids please Make sure they get a copy of Spidey and his Amazing Friends Free Comic Book Day because it's got Spidey and Miles and Ghost Spider and Green Goblin, Doc Ock and more. It's got, you know, really fun stories, activity pages, all that stuff. I know Catherine, my three-year-old, uh, loved the one that we put out last year. So I got to get my hands on one for her this year. And then Lorraine, one we've yes. not been able to talk about up until now is there's a special comic book prequel to the upcoming Marvel's Spider-Man 2 video game mm. out for free comic book day. This issue is by writer Christos Gage, who also was one of the writers on Marvel's Spider-Man video game and art by Iguata. Uh, it is it is awesome. I read that one as well. It features Peter and Miles teaming up against the Tarantula. You've got Mary Jane podcasting with J. Jonah Jameson, which if you know Triple J from uh, the game, you know that's going to be fantastic uh there's a bunch more i don't want to spoil it all there's a uh, sony has a great blog up on their website about the comic the making of it sort of what it means there's some other cool stuff about the spidey video games all that fun stuff and i think it's going to really get everybody even more hyped for the game's upcoming release 
Again, these are uh, available at not every comic book shop, but those who are participating in Free Comic Book Day, which is most of them, I bet. But please reach out to your local comic shop, get ready, get hyped, get your free comics, and please buy something while you're there. It's really helpful. Yeah, support your local comic shops. All right, I'm continuing the talk on Marvel Games. May 11th is going to bring some big stuff for Marvel's Midnight Suns. The absolutely fan-friggin-tastic game is scheduled to launch next week on May 11th for Xbox One and PlayStation 4 in digital format only with all four post-launch DLC available for purchase and to play on the date. So if you have been waiting for Xbox One and PlayStation 4 in digital format, this is your moment. Yeah, or just this is this is good because it's only been on PlayStation 5 and on Xbox Series X and S as of now. So if you haven't gotten to these new consoles, don't fret. Get on the game that mm-hmm. um, I can't stop talking about for your Xbox One and your PS4. Oh, and this also marks the arrival of Marvel's Midnight Sun's fourth and final post-launch DLC, Bloodstorm, featuring who? Storm, and we assume blood. Uh, (laughs) Available either standalone purchase or as part of the Marvel's Midnight Sun's season pass. Uh, It's included in the Legendary Edition, and each DLC brings a new recruitable hero and adds three new story missions, a new upgrade for the Abbey, and a selection of new skins and outfits for the hero. So go check out a sneak peek of Storm over on marvel.com or the Marvel YouTube channel and get to experience what it's like to search for an endangered mutant child in New York with Wolverine. Storm gets to meet up with Magic, who encourages her to join the Midnight Suns in Bloodstorm. It's a whole vibe. We love Marvel's Midnight Suns, so go check it out and look out for it next week, May 11th, on Xbox One and PlayStation 4. Yeah, I'm very excited. I've been like holding off on finishing the story so I can get the Storm uh, DLC in here. And it is almost time. It's going to be fantastic. Next up, we have Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, where breakout Spidey villain Hallow's Eve makes her next big move, written by Eric Schultz with art by Julian Shaw. This all takes place after her explosive debut in last year's Amazing Spider-Man number 14. And of course, her exciting role in X-Men slash Spider-Man's crossover, Dark Web. Uh, and now Hollow's Eve continues to take the Marvel Universe by storm in the pages of her very own hit solo series. And it's even scored a second printing of her first sold out first issue, which is so awesome. Uh, this is going to include the new identity of Ben Riley's longtime girlfriend, Janine Godby. Hollow's Eve is an ex-con armed with an arsenal of enchanted masks, and uh, she's just getting started. So you do not want to miss it. August 2nd in Amazing Spider-Man Annual. It's going to be a good old time for some Hollow's Eve. Mm-hmm. One cool thing that is also happening this week that I want to make sure we shared is that the brand new prose novel Aranya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow is out now. It is written by one of my absolute best friends, Alex Segura, who is now also an LA Times Book Prize Award winner. Yeah. Uh, that ding-dong doofus went and won an award for his great book, Secret Identity, and I love him and I'm so proud of him. Uh, it makes me so happy. And I've been reading Dark Tomorrow, which is a lot of fun. The book opens with Aranya fighting Stegron. Do you need any more reasons (laughs) to check this out? No, come on, go read it. It's a lot of fun, but we also have a lot of fun stuff in there. We get to see Aranya go to uh, Miguel's time period and see her in the future and interacting with that. And I was just, I was texting with Alex this week and I was like, that's my favorite part of the book. You could tell that how much fun Alex was having with this. (laughs) Uh, If you want to get a little sense of what this book is like, there's an excerpt you can read on marvel.com. It's got Spidey 2099, Aranya, plenty of villains, reveals, all kinds of fun stuff. And if you are, for some reason, in the Queens, New York area next week, May 11th, I will be hosting a book talk at Q and Willow Books in Queens with Alex and writer Neil Clyde. Neil has a brand new X-Men prose novel coming out. Come say hi. If you come to that event, it's going to be really, really cool. And yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. What's not to love? Uh, That sounds so fun. And congrats. Give Alex my best. He's such a sweet human boy. Yeah, he's all right. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Ryan, tell us what's going on on Marvel's Pull List podcast this week. 
Yeah, uh, it's a podcast all about Marvel Comics every week. Our picks of the week for new issues are Moon Knight, number 23, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, Lando, number one, and Scarlet Witch, number five. All are fantastic. Go listen to the show to find out why we picked those. And you should also check it out because our reading club this week is Star Wars Hidden Empire, with writer and Star Wars creative consultant Charles Soule. That's right. It's also a big freaking Star Wars week. We have five Star Wars comics out this week uh, for everybody. In addition to all the the great comics this week, there's cool stuff over on Disney Plus, like Star Wars Vision Season 2, Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures, which my daughter loves the little shorts, so I'm excited to have full episodes for her. Yeah, and happy belated May the 4th. May the 4th be with you, y'all. What a time to be into Star Wars or Marvel or all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, Of course, Marvel's pull list. We have new episodes out every Tuesday. It's a perfect way to help you get ready for Wednesday's new comic book day. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, if you're lucky, maybe we'll have a little bonus for you for free comic book day on Saturday. Get you ready right before you go to the comic shop. So check your subscriptions in the morning to give it a listen. Yeah, and speaking of having some little treats soon, we're going to have a Marvel Insider Code, and we're going to have the cast of the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That's right. We'll be back soon. Don't go anywhere. All right, you're listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Lorraine Sink. I am Ryan Panagos. Baby, 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 we got some good stuff coming up right now. So we got to catch up with the cast of Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 to ask them what it meant to be a part of this big found family that is the Guardians. Let's hear a little bit about that right now. I mean, it's been wonderful. I mean, I feel really fortunate. Some of it's luck and some of it's, you know, skill on my part of being able to see who's a good person but I feel incredibly grateful to the cast. Um, I feel incredibly grateful, I think especially to Chris. Oh man, it's meant the world. It's really been special. Film sets are a crucible for forging lifelong relationships. It's so special to be a part of something like this with these particular people. I mean, we truly do feel like a family off screen now. I know everyone says that, but like we genuinely have that. You feel like they're all just having fun and it's a very relaxed atmosphere. There's no no egos, nothing goofy going on. Everyone was so nice and so welcoming and they just welcomed me as a new member of the family, you know. And then we did the same with the newcomers, you know, with Will, with Chuck, with Maria, you know, it's just such a great atmosphere, you know. I think for the legacy cast and, you know, who are going on, you know, over 10 years now being together, they really are a family. And the way that they extend, you know, themselves to other people like me who are newbies kind of coming in is so welcomed and appreciated. You're still coming in to work with these mega superstars and you're like, what are they going to be like? What, is there going to be some weird dynamic? Is there going to be some weird hierarchy? And none of that. But I have to say that I've never had such an incredible experience having extremely warm, welcoming, and feeling like I'm already there. I'm already a family with them. Uh, even the fact that I'm just the newest person, puppy out there. <laughs> to be able to be a part of something creatively that so many people, so many talented people, have come together to to create and to do it with love and to um, really believe in it, believe in the story that we're telling. But that alone is the most gratifying thing in the world. Special thanks to Marvel.com editor Rachel Page for helping us interview the entire cast on a big old junket day. We mm-hmm. super appreciate it. And hopefully now your appetite is appropriately whetted. Whetted. For Sean Gunn. Ryan, tell mm-hmm. me what it was like getting to catch up with Sean Gunn, who Sean. I love. By he's the way. so terrific. Um, he's obviously an actor, and we know him uh, for his role as Kirk on the television series Gilmore Girls. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you know who put that in, yep. maybe. <laughs> who was lobbying for that? It's me. Uh, but more importantly, he is the Ravager known as Craglin, former Ravager, I should say, and now member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Craglin mm-hmm. uh, has been portraying that role in the MCU. As we mentioned earlier in the show, he's got some 
cool stuff um, that he's also done with Rocket throughout his time in the MCU. And we had the chance to catch up with Sean on a very busy week, but he was just the absolute best. Find out more about what it's like to be a member of the Guardians and wrap up this incredible story right now. Hello, Sean Gunn. How are you? I am well, sir. How are you? Great, great. So, obviously, so much to talk about. But first, gotta ask, what's your Marvel origin story? How and when did you first get exposed to the Marvel characters and stories? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I guess I have two different Marvel stories, which would be the getting exposed to the Marvel Universe on my own as a child. But then I have my origin story of becoming involved in the MCU. Both are from my brother James. You know, when I was a very young child, he collected comic books. He's a little older than me, not a lot, but a little. And he was really into comic books and collected comic books. And I would always poke into his bedroom and look at his stacks of comics and go through things and get introduced. And he would explain to me some of the the characters and, and things like that. So I was never as hardcore about it as he was, um, who is. But, uh, you know, and then again, years later, it was kind of out of the blue. He and I were both kind of in weird crossroads in our careers. I had done a TV show for a number of years and thought things were kind of going well and then had a terrible dip of a couple of years of doing almost nothing. And uh, and James was getting sort of disillusioned with the film industry at that time and, and was maybe going to move into doing more video games or trying to do television or something like that. And then this job sort of arose out of the sky for him, and he wasn't sure he wanted to do it, and then decided that he did want to do it, and uh, and got the job of writing and, and directing Guardians of the Galaxy, which was thought to be a tremendous risk at that time. And um, we had worked together a lot, so he knew that he wanted me there to help, and so I had never heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. When he got the job, I started to do my research. And that was, oh my gosh, 11 years ago. But I want to dive back to you you and your siblings. Were you starting to all sort of think about the performances and, and writing and creativity or filmmaking or playing stuff as you were kids? I imagine that was a very fertile imagination yeah, group. For sure. We would share ideas. We were all creative types, even though my sister is the one who didn't go into the entertainment industry. The, the five boys in my family all did. But my sister is also incredibly creative in her own right. We would make up stories. You know, we had every Star Wars figure imaginable. But in our universe, they weren't who they were in the Star Wars world. They were, they took on these new personas. But there would always be some sort of creative stuff. I remember even when we were a little bit older, I remember James and I taking all of our Star Wars and other action figures. So it would be the G.I. Joe figures and whoever else we had, whatever, like, straight Battlestar Galactica figures. We created this, God, I haven't thought of this in a long time, but we created this sort of like cage match. We gave all these characters new personas and then had like a dice game. We invented like just a very basic dice game of who would win these battles and, and then had them fight one another. And there would be a movie playing while we did that. And like, we were just really into everything we could absorb in that way. I love it. How early did you think that you wanted to get into that kind of storytelling, acting, sort of make-believe for real? You know, my siblings, for the most part, dabbled in a variety of different things. You know, James was always doing something creative. He, he not only was he into movies and comic books and things like that, but he, he then wrote comics and and wrote stories and he was in a band and made music and, and did all those things. And the same with my brother, Brian, who ended up being a, being a writer, but they were, all of my brothers did plays, but they did other things. I am unique in that I, from the time I was old enough to know what a profession was, I'm like, I am going to be an actor and that's what I'm going to do. And that was always my thing. Before we get deeper into the Marvel of it all, I got to talk about Tromeo and Juliet because I've been a Troma fan for just for decades. And um, there was after some convention I was at and I, I was in the plane and I looked across the aisle and sitting directly next to me was Lloyd Kaufman. 
we started talking about trauma and comics and Marvel and he's telling me Stanley stories and, and he's telling me all this, you know, all kinds of stuff and the, the dealings that they had with Marvel back in the day. And I was just like, this is the coolest. But for you, Tromeo and Julia, was that, that was your first like big role kind of thing that you did? Yeah, it was my first acting job that I, it was first thing I ever got paid for. I got paid $100 total for my performance in that film. And um, I was still in school. So I basically went in the summer between my second and third years of college, or I think it was second and third years. Yeah. Of, of college to go to New York and, and, and do that movie. And it was, uh, it was such a wild experience. And, you know, I love that you met Lloyd and he's, um, he's, he's a friend of ours to this day. I just saw him recently at my brother's wedding, but I always think that the, there's that Hollywood game of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And I always think that the, the six degrees of Lloyd Kaufman might be a more interesting game to play because it's, it's, it's yeah. all roads lead to Lloyd's somewhere. Seriously. And like, you know, for Marvel comics fans of like now don't realize we were publishing toxic crusaders comics like 35 years ago. There's a, there's like yeah. a toxic video game that I had as a kid, not even realizing that like, that was a character that I probably shouldn't have known about when I was like eight years old. It's ah, I love that stuff. Yeah. yeah. In terms of, thematically it's so far ahead of its time because it's about the environment it's about really like um i think the toxic avenger was uh presaging you know the environmental disasters that we have today yeah but for you doing that how is that doing the film with your brother you know like early on in in your careers it was great it was so interesting there was a you know the production office was in a little walk up in, in Hell's Kitchen. And it was, I think, 1994, I guess, that we were shooting, 94, 95, that we were shooting that movie. And I was around for as much of it as I could be. I was crashing on my other brother, Matt and Patrick, lived not too far from there. And I crashed on their couch for a month while we made the movie and uh, and felt like a big shot because I just couldn't believe I was making a movie. It was the craziest thing in the world. You know, I remember very distinctly walking into that production office and seeing headshots are pinned to the wall of the people who have already been cast. And I flashed back to that so hardcore in 2013 in, in London, walking into the production office of Guardians for the first time and seeing like in that massive space and all of those computer generated images and all the things, but thinking in my head, this is really the same. The scale is larger, but it's really the same thing. It's a group of people coming together as best they can with the budget that they have to tell a story and everyone being on the same page. And it's all the same. The components are all the same. You know, the jobs are pretty much all the same. And uh, and that was very striking to me. Um, what was your initial reaction when he says, this is the big, giant big budget Hollywood film that I'm going to do for, for Marvel. What was your reaction? I was incredibly happy for him. Of course, it seemed like such an amazing opportunity, but mostly I mean this sincerely. I just think I was less nervous than just about anybody in the world about his tackling of this material. He just seemed built for it. And he since said that he was built for it, that he, he almost felt like he was designed in a lab to be able to make make that movie. You know, it combined all of his sensibilities and all of his skills. And I had a sense of that from the very moment I saw like the original concept art. I, I think Marvel couldn't have made a better hire, and I don't think James could have found a better source material for him to shine. I recently went back and I was reading Craglin's first appearance in Marvel Comics, which is now 60 years old. It's like nothing like the character in the MCU. No. He's like this robot dude, but it's fine. It's it's. I have that. I have that comic book. So I've yeah, been, I have it somewhere in my archives. I think it's Tales of Suspense 60. 46 or yeah. something like that. It, what's really great is watching the films and seeing how you've taken just this name and turned him into this, this sweet, reliable, incredible member of this Guardians family. What's it like for you to be able to see this character and take that evolution to where we see him in, in volume three? Oh, man, it's so cool. First, I want to say that I think that James can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that basically he chose that name because 
if you were to make up a name, you've got to run it past the lawyers and all that stuff. But if you just choose a name that's already somewhere in the Marvel uh, catalog somewhere, you already know that you own it. And so he just like, he just like plucked that name out for Craglin, which I, I love that. It's a good name too. Yeah, right. It's really been a, an amazing experience with me. I, I love sort of tracing the beginning of my relationship with the character to where it is now. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he was just called the first mate in the first script that I read, or at least in the first like description that I read, I know. He was just the Yandu's first mate. But he had the name of Craglin. And I don't think we really knew. I don't think either James or I knew exactly who Craglin was when we shot the first movie. I don't really think until I saw the first movie did I get it. Because we we would play around with different takes just in subtle ways in the background. I've been acting a long time, and I was very aware of the fact that for a lot of the texture of those scenes, Craglin's in the background doing something and just sort of punctuating things. If he's a lead character, you have to craft that and have it really make sense thematically with everything that's going on with the story. But with a character who's sort of a peripheral character, the way Craglin was in the first movie, you can have different sort of punctuation to these scenes where he might be a little bit more of a maniac. He might be cackling, or he might be dry, or he might be bored, or any of these things. And so we played with that stuff in almost every scene that Craglin was in. You know, I don't think we had a complete character there. Um, and a good example, a question I get all the time is in the scene where Yandu is battling the gobbledy gobbledy uh, with uh, in the shop where he's Craglin cracks up in the background. People are like, was that like real in the moment? You just couldn't help yourself but to crack up. And I'm like, no, we tried that like eight different ways. We tried it with him cracking up. We tried it with him laughing hysterically. We tried it with him bored. We tried it with him looking menacing and like all these different things. And I didn't really know what was going to end up in the movie. So then I saw the first movie and I'm like, oh, I get who this guy is. And he has such an important moment with Yandu at the end of the movie where they say, you know, you know that Craglin was there when he abducted Peter. You know, it's like that one little nugget that we get about his character is like, oh, Craglin's been there the whole time. And then in the second movie, like the arc becomes so clear. And in the second movie, Craglin has the whole, it's really the, the prodigal son story where where Quill is the prodigal son who leaves and and Yandu is so happy to to welcome him back home and Craglin is so hurt that I've been here the whole time. I've been the loyal one and you, you treat me like I don't even matter. And so I think that dealing with that is part of his journey and is part of what we get to really explore in the third movie as well. Yeah. You're also the onset rocket, which uh, is, yeah. is really interesting, but also incredibly important for the cast, for the VFX crews and for more, especially for our audience. Can you explain what that means and, and how that part of, of your role within the Guardians films came together? Yeah. So basically, I think here's how we can, I can best sort of describe it is that my brother James knew from the beginning of just preparing the first Guardians movie that one of the trickiest aspects was going to be making sure that Rocket looked realistic. So he knew going in that he didn't want the actors looking at a tennis ball on a stick or a blank space all the time. He knew from the beginning that he wanted to ask me to come in and help with that process. But we didn't know yet what was going to work the best. So when I was hired, I got hired to play Craglin and also to play Rocket on set without even knowing what that meant and to sort of assist in putting that process together. I always knew that I was never going to be the voice of Rocket. That wasn't part of the deal. That wasn't my job. I did want to make it as realistic as possible for the other actors. So we did the first read through of the first movie and I played Rocket and then we got it on our, on its feet and did the first rehearsal. And I happened to be a very limber guy, or at least I was 11 years ago, and had also done a little bit of learning how animals moved when I was in acting school and doing some like getting down and, and figuring that stuff out. And so when we started doing the first rehearsal of the scene, 
I just got down and started doing it. I just got down on my basically a squatting position, like the way a catcher squats in baseball. And I just got down there and started moving around as Rocket. It looks ridiculous for about the first (laughs) five minutes. And then you forget about it. And then it's just an actor there playing the role. And what we found was that it was incredibly helpful for the other actors. So, you know, when Chris and Zoe and Dave, and when they um, are looking down and talking to Rocket, they really appreciated having, looking into a set of eyes rather than looking at a tennis ball. And so James and I were like, let's do that. Let's, as much as possible, I will get there and be working off of them. And we worked on sort of a loose kind of voice for me to use, just so that I'm approximating what Rocket was going to be as best as possible. And after about a week or so of shooting like that, we also found that the visual effects team was then like, this is incredibly helpful for us as well. Because when we are animating this character, it's good to have a reference point for where he's looking, what his hands are doing. Like what all of the little movements, they're not married to it. It's not the same as motion capture where you're wearing the balls and, the, and all the things because the technology isn't there to make the character look realistic. The animators are still doing all of the work basically on their own to, to create Rocket mostly from scratch. And so uh, we just didn't mess with it. By the end of that first movie, at some point towards the end of that process, Bradley Cooper was cast to do the voice of the character. And I believe that it was really helpful for him. His job, I think of it almost like a relay race where James kind of hands the baton to me and I hand the baton to the visual effects team. And then the visual effects team hands it to the anchor, Bradley, who puts all these pieces together and makes it all work in one kind of complete process. And that just really, really worked. And so we, we continued to use that process for you know, five more movies after that, and including, you know, after doing it in the second movie, I remember Kevin Feige taking me aside at, at San Diego Comic-Con and saying, hey, we're doing these Avengers movies coming up, and, you know, Rocket's doing a, a, a little piece, a little cameo. Turned out to be a little bit more than a cameo, but uh, <laughs> doing a little cameo in, in these movies, and uh, we have to have you come back and do what you do for those movies for the Avengers movies, which of course I was happy to do and was a, was an interesting process in its own right. Thinking about Rocket and, and obviously uh, also Craglin, have you ever had to go into Rocket mode while as Craglin in a scene and like needed to, to sort of get down and do the, the Rocket stuff? Yeah, the hardest work that I've done on the movies are the days when I'm doing double duty. It was pretty pronounced in the second movie. In the third movie, without spoiling anything, they're separate a lot more. But in the second movie, two scenes, the scene in the woods where Rocket kind of kicks ass on all of the Ravagers and then ends up sitting there and on Yondu and then uh, Nebula comes in and all of that stuff. Kraglin and Rocket are very much both featured in that scene. And then again, also right before the prison break, when uh, Kraglin gets the fin, the prototype fin, Rocket's there and then they're on the ship together. All of that stuff is definitely the hardest days of work I've had on on uh, on any of the of the Marvel films. There are times when it gets really weird. There's one shot in the woods there in that second movie where I'm fully in Kraglin garb, you know, but the camera's on my back and Rocket is in the middle of the circle talking back and forth with Yondu and then with Nebula. And we did some takes of that where... I'm doing Rocket's lines, but trying not to move my head while I'm talking because I'm supposed to be standing there still as Kraglin, but I'm doing Rocket's lines to do with the other actors. It takes an awful lot of focus to make those days work. One of my favorite things throughout Volume 3 is the relationship and the instances between Kraglin and Cosmo in the film. And uh, Maria Bakalova uh, does mocap and the voice for Cosmo. Which, you know, that's fun. Is there like a, a little bit of a kinship or or something between the two of you because of the animal acting and everything? 100%. And also, I had so much respect for Maria as an actress and to her commitment to doing it. And I also understood because I've done it. 
you know, I know what it's like to be down there on the ground playing Rocket. And yeah, it looks silly and people may tend to laugh at first glance, but it's also you are 100% a member of the ensemble and a member of the team. And like Maria was so good and it was awesome. I hope, you know, that that comes across on on screen, that there is a, a rapport that we were able to have with one another that I would never have if I just had a dog and someone reading lines off off camera or whatever. It's like, it was so awesome to have Maria there and she was always there. We're going to wrap up real soon, but I got to ask, who has the most hardcore fans? The MCU or Gilmore Girls? Probably Gilmore Girls. Yep. I, I hate to say, I mean, it dep- the MCU, there's more of them in number, but in terms of intensity, I can't believe how intense the Gilmore Girls fans are. It's nuts. And and particularly for me personally, oh my God, the Gilmore Girls fans, the way that they go nuts for Kirk is like, it's been a lovely and beautiful burden for the last 20 years. <laughs> I love that. Love the way you phrase that. All right. Last <laughs> thing real quick. If you had one final favorite memory from all the Guardians films and experiences you've had, anything that comes to mind immediately? Yeah. I'll just say the very first thing which came to mind, which was standing on the red carpet opening of the first film so when guardians one opened and being there on hollywood boulevard with all of the screaming fans and all of the the press and all that stuff and seeing my brother and having him give me a hug and then and then kind of like looking around and very quietly saying to me i think we pulled it off man and like that moment was like Career-wise, and it's also career and personal overlapping, it's one of the greatest moments of my life. It's beautiful stuff. Congratulations to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks. Oh, what a ding-dang delight. Of course, everybody go see Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in theaters right now as you listen to this podcast with your ears. Wow, that's wild. All right. It is time for our question of the week. And we were thinking about this, you know, we'll we'll probably in the future next couple of weeks ask about our our favorite moments from the new film. But we know we've had the music available for us for, you know, a couple weeks now. Um, Now the physical versions are available this week. Maybe everybody's been listening to the playlist and thinking about the the ways the music is going to be used. So there's a bunch of great songs in the film. So our question of the week what is your favorite song in Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? There are so many excellent songs. Very, very mild spoilers here if you have not seen the film yet when you're listening to this. But the track list is out in the world. So if you want to listen to it or you want to check them out, definitely do. But No Sleep Till Brooklyn, it's a banger. It's great in the film. I love the acoustic version of Creep. Yeah. That one's really good. I mean, also that speaks to my like junior high, early (laughs) high school heart in a big way. (laughs) There's so many. Um, In the meantime, by Space Hog, it's great. (laughs) For me, it's um, Crazy on You by Heart. It's just such a great song and it it works Mm -hmm. really well in the film. But top one, gotta be. Of course, for me, Faith No More, We Care A Lot. I got such a big mm. smile on my face when that popped up because Faith No More is one of my all-time favorite bands and um, how it's used in the film is really, really good. Now, you know, maybe you'll choose one of these songs. There's a great 17 songs here, but there's also a wonderful score, which you can listen to right now, as we mentioned, by John Murphy. And we should be talking to John Murphy next week. So if you have any particular favorites from the score as well, you let us know. So your favorite mm-hmm. song, either from the soundtrack, the score, both, whatever floats your boat, you can tweet us your answers using hashtag this week in Marvel, email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. And of course, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show. Yeah, because we're going to read it on the show right now because it's this week in messages. All right, let's move it on last week. The question of the week was, what is your favorite Guardians MCU moment? Um, And we got so many excellent answers. So super excited about this. Yeah. First up, Ethan at Geekin' Out Ethan said, Star-Lord dancing to come and get your love. Oh. Just classic. A classic. classic. 
Uh, Spiker at Scruffier Rebel said the whole Star-Lord slash Gamora sequence in volume one where he tried to put the moves on her. Oh, the moment with like the headphones is so like sweet when she mm. like kind of softens up a little bit and it's so nice. I guess spoiler for volume two, in case you've never seen it, Amika Uzo at Highlight441 tweeted, when Peter kills Ego and then grieves Yondu's death in volume two. All right, Roger Floyd at Iron Man Fan 40 said, James Monroe Eigelhart stole my quote, but it was in volume two when Yondo said to Peter, he might have been your father boy, but he wasn't your daddy. I get teary eyed every time I watch this. Honestly, I love that line so much because I think so many people experience family in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of people have step parents that are their primary parent. And it's just really phenomenal to get to see it on the big screen. Uh, we got some from Karis Pollard at hey, A Karis Pollard who said, my Guardians of the Galaxy moment is towards the end of volume two, Yondu's funeral, especially when Rocket says, quote, he didn't chase them away, even though he shouted and was mean, stole batteries he didn't need, end quote. Makes me sob every time. I'm so <laughs> excited to see volume three next week and have realized I'm going to miss most of the coronation due to being in the cinema. Oh, well, confident I made the right choice. Paris uh, <laughs> is in uh, Old Blighty. She's in the UK. The coronation she speaks of, everybody I'm sure understands. Karis um, continues saying, also, thanks to the whole team across all 600 episodes of This Week in Marvel, my favorite podcast and has been since I started listening, not quite 600 episodes ago. You make my week brighter and better. I appreciate you all. Okay, thought some more. And how could I not mention Mr. Blue Sky in the opening credits of Volume 2, which is one of the best MCU sequences. My wife also mentioned the We Are Groot moment in Volume 1, which is also up there Aww. in my moments. Karis, you're the best. Thanks. Um, all right. Next up, we got an email from James Marshall. And I appreciate that James provided us a full-on list uh, with quotes. So, favorite Guardians of the Galaxy moment, Peter Quill. Yeah, I'll have to agree with the walking thesaurus on that one. Drags the Destroyer. Do not ever call me a thesaurus. Peter Quill. It's just a metaphor, dude. Rocket Raccoon. His people are completely literal. Metaphors go over his head. Drags the Destroyer. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. <laughs> um, a treasure. God, so good. Also in response to last week's question, my love for Marvel began with Uncanny X-Men and Chris Claremont's legendary run alone would make it my favorite long-running series. Special shout out to the Black Panther following Chadwick's untimely passing. I read through every single issue of Black Panther. From Jack Kirby's wacky time-traveling frog adventures to Priest reinventing the character and the mythos into Hudlin's introduction of Shuri and the wedding between T'Challa and Aurora and the spacefaring adventures in Coates' run... Black Panther was consistently good and mostly excellent. Um, man, kudos to you. Yeah. Those are some great runs to go Hell back yeah. and read, too. Uh, we got an email from Paul Warren who said, impossible to pick the best Guardians moment. Maybe Yandu's funeral? Shout out to the Guardians video game, by the way. Great shout out there. It's a perfect time. If you are super duper into Guardians of the Galaxy stuff right now, there's the great Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy video game. There's tons of Guardians of the Galaxy comics, Infinity Comics, all kinds of stuff to keep that excitement going. Mm-hmm. All right, we got an email here from Heather, Fiona, and Nolan. Hello, Twim. The three of us just finished rewatching Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 to prepare for 3, so we have fresh minds for this question. Nolan's favorite part is from Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, when the crew is looking around Ego, specifically when Drax pops the bubble and it turns into lots of other bubbles because it's so beautiful. Fiona's favorite moment is from the first film, seeing two powerful women, Gamora and Nebula, standing together before Gamora officially defects from Ronin. My favorite moment is from the holiday special when Mantis sees Steve in LA and tackles him because of that moment. Mantis is me. Uh, your NC Marvel family, Heather, Fiona, and Nolan. Thank you folks so much for watching and uh, sharing your favorite moments with us. We love that you uh, make it a family affair. Heather, I want to know when you first shared the Guardians films with the kiddos, because I've been been thinking about it. And, I, you know, Catherine has seen Baby Groot a lot. And so she knows Baby Groot, but she's not fully aware of all the Guardian stuff. And I'm like, is it too heavy? Probably too heavy for her. Maybe not. I don't know. 
Parenting, huh? It's wild. We get an email from Wes Cowell who said, Mantis, watch out. This part of volume two cracks my wife and me up every time. The friendship between Drax and Mantis really is special. I love the interactions between these characters. Their openness and honesty with each other really makes for some hilarious moments. Can't wait to see them in volume three. And shout out to Lemon Juice McGee's comic Cavalcade in Somerset, Kentucky. (laughs) All right, Wes, please relay a message from your friendly Marvel podcast host, Lemon Juice McGee's Comic Cavalcade may be the greatest name yes. for a comic shop I've ever heard. A thousand percent. Holy Absolutely. moly. Congratulations on the name alone. Yeah, um. seriously. <laughs> All right. Next up, we got an email here from Jason Kim who said, Aloha, Ryan and Lorraine. It's Jason from Hawaii. I just wanted to give a few free comic book day shout outs. One, happy free comic book day, everybody. Two, a big shout out to Kyle and Drew, the co-host of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. They donated 120 free comic book day comics to the Logan Hawking County District Library in Ohio. Three, shout outs to these comic shops in Hawaii. Westside Comics and Games, Dragon's Lair, Maui's Comics and Collectibles in Wisconsin, Kawabunga Comics. All right. I hope everyone will find some awesome comics to read this weekend. Mahalo for reading my email on the air. Thank you, Jason. I Look, I love hearing from Jason. He's always got such positivity and cool stuff. And then I love the idea of folks donating free comic book day books to a library. I've tried donating books to our library, but the like the New York City library system does not take donations. You <sighs> got to give them to the 826NYC charity uh, down in Brooklyn for kids literacy. They're great. We got an email from Joe Hoffman who said, hope you marvelous people are doing well. Welcome back, James. Hope things are going well for you and your Broadway career. I will say for James, yeah, he's doing pretty okay. Okay, everybody. James is a friggin' superstar and we love him and he'll be back soon. Joe continues saying, I sure hope you're able to produce at least another 600 episodes of Twin because I really do enjoy listening to y'all every week. In answer to the question of the week, my favorite Guardians of the Galaxy moment has to be the singing of I Don't Know What Christmas Is during the Guardians Christmas special because that song does a lot to provide an intergalactic feel to the entire franchise. And it really makes me want to see volume three of Guardians so that I can keep hanging out with Star-Lord, Gamora, Groot, and the rest of the incredible characters from this amazing series. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Joe. All right, we got an email here from Jasper Payne who said, just listen to your 600th episode. So cool. You guys make me laugh every ep since summer 2020. Two things you might not know. One, this September is 10 years since the premiere of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Two, Why do none of the live action shows get full Lego sets? (laughs) P.S. My favorite Guardians of the Galaxy moment is the beginning of Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. All right. Carly sent us a Facebook message saying my favorite Guardians MCU moments. In the first one where we're on Xandar and you hear Rocket people watching and being a hilarious badass. In Volume 2, it's Yondu's speech to Rocket, and I quote the part about the high evolutionary not giving a rat's ass about him, then hearing him sniffle. That made me awe when I saw it the first time in the cinema. I also agree with Ryan that the moment in the first one where Drax is comforting Rocket. I mean, Carly, come on. You are you are biased on all things Rocket, but we appreciate it. Yes, yes, yes. One last thing. I just wanted to give mm-hmm. a shout out and thanks to Daniel Quintero, who is uh, representing all the Twimomaniacs for many, many years. Been listening for a long time. Sent me uh, some great messages and is now in Peru keeping the flame alive for everyone who uh, listens to Twim. Daniel, make sure everybody out there in uh, in your part of the world is listening to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And in fact, to say thank you to everyone who is listening, we've got that Marvel Insider code as promised. So if you're not signed up already, head over to marvel.com slash insider where you can earn points for doing stuff like reading comic books, checking out articles, even listening to this very podcast that's in your ear holes at this very moment. Plus, we have that special code for listening to this episode. And that code is... Guardians, G-U-A-R-D-I-A-N-S. It is valid through the 12th of May. And with this code, you will receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter it in the This Week in Marvel podcast code redeem activity at marvel.com slash insider. There are a limited number of redemptions available. One redemption code per Marvel Insider. Please save this for the Twimomaniacs before you go post it on the random internet. Yeah, right. Okay? 
I'm looking at you. I see you talking <laughs> about our podcast on there. Just listen to the show, please. We appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. Marvel Insider, of course, is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only. Terms apply. Please go do it. Get those points and enjoy some fun stuff on us. Yeah. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Cara McGurk-Allison, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Rocket Sockets. Rocket Sockets, do you have some limb that Rocket would like to take and home with him because he's a creep? Rocket Sockets, enjoy. Plug and play. It's Rocket Sockets. (laughs) I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.